0: The following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church, and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. We are on our fourth Sunday of Advent, and you will notice that we have our four candles lit. On my right, your left, we uh, we will light the white one. Coming up on uh, Friday night, Christmas Eve, we hope you can join us. And as Dave said, we would we would highly encourage you to get here early, uh, get a seat if you can. We'll try to have as many chairs available uh, for those that want to join us. And we're looking forward to having having you with us. So this this Sunday, the last Sunday of Advent, our theme is love. And what what a theme! I mean, if you've been reading Sinclair Ferguson's Advent devotional that we highlighted. Um, at the beginning of this Advent series, the s- title of his book is Love Came Down. And what he did was he's taken 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest chapter on love, and he took a-, a phrase after phrase after phrase just revealing how Jesus is the manifestation of that chapter. And you can see why when you're reading the book, why he would title the book Love Came Down. And that, that great theme of love is what we're going to explore this morning and here's what I hope we'll learn. If you got your outline with you or a bulletin when you walked in the door, on the back side of that bulletin is an outline and you'll see a big idea. And here's here's the big idea that we are we're hoping that we will see today by the power of God's spirit at work within us. It's this, the big idea, God has made a way through Christ that we can experience and express his love. God has made a way through Christ that we can experience and express His love. Now, it doesn't take an advanced degree to realize that our world could use a lot more love. I mean, from political fights, racial divides, uh, relational tensions, we need love to dominate the scene. At least in my lifetime, it seems like more than ever before. If you're in a family, you realize this probably on a regular basis. Husbands and wives fight... Children bicker over toys, and separation in families happen, and it sadly happens because of our own sin nature. As a matter of fact, it's this time of the year during Christmas season that is some of the hardest times for families because they recognize those that have been separated from them uh, due to some relational tension or challenge, and it just makes their hearts ache when they get together for Christmas because they're missing something. But you don't have to look in your families or look in the world to realize that we we could use a lot more love. You don't have to go very far but beyond your own nose to realize this. We're people who get easily offended. We impugn others' motives. We sin against other people in our hearts and our minds without it ever coming out of our mouth or our body. We lack true compassion that would make a lasting difference in our world. As the Beatles would tell us, all we need is love. It's that secret ingredient, right? That if we could just mix it into the world a little bit more, it's like an elusive secret sauce that if we could taste it, live it, and have it, it would make our world a much better place. But the question is, how do we get it? How do we keep it? And how do we live in it in such a way that it will change things around us, in us and around us? And that's what I hope we're going to see this morning. So stand with me as we read John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. <clears throat> we stand for the reading of God's Word because we, it is, we believe it is inspired, it is true, and it is God-breathed. And this is the reading of God's Word, John chapter 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word this is Jesus praying to God it's called his high priestly prayer and he continues that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me Father I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that You have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world Oh righteous father Even though the world does not know you I know you and these know that you have sent me I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, your word is, is holy, it is true, and we want to be transformed by your word. And this morning, would you take this great theme of love... And point us to our Savior, Jesus, who came to reveal to us your great love for us so that we might express your great love to those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now let's start by looking at our, our first point in the outline, which is God loves His Son and the world. Now the text that we just read reveals this to us. It's, it's a text that's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. It's a, it's a unique moment in the, in the Bible. We, we get to hear, like flies on the wall, Jesus pray to God. We get to hear how they interact with one another. We get to hear what's on Jesus' heart, what's on His mind and notice how Jesus explained the love between he and the Father and God's love for the world. Notice verse 23 with me. Now we're not going to preach the whole text, but we're going to stick with the theme of love in this. Notice verse 23. Jesus's prayer for us is that we would be one, as he and the Father are one, so that the world may know that God sent Jesus. And that the world might know that god loves the world as god loves jesus indicating something fascinating god loves jesus and jesus coming to the world is the evidence the fact that god loves the world like he loves jesus and our unity as christians reveals god's love to the world in sending jesus because it shows the world the powerful effect of god's love upon our hearts. Rather than fighting like the outside world, we choose to be unified under the name and banner of Jesus. Reveals the the only supernatural power that can make us one, which is Christ. But then notice verse 24, which reveals some absolutely staggering news. Jesus wants us, his people, to be with him and where he's going, which ultimately is heaven and eternal life. <clears throat> and to see the glory that God has given him and notice this statement because God loved Jesus before the foundation of the world now just let that sink in for a moment this this is staggering news God loved Jesus before time ever began in the relationship of God the Father God the Son and Holy Spirit three in one the trinity the godhead there has been love that has existed way before you or I ever breathed a breath, ever, ever came out of our mouth or our noses. There's been love that's existed in eternity past, showing us that there has been love in the universe way before humans ever existed. The eternal nature of love is because the eternal God loved the eternal Son from eternity past, before the foundation of time. And then verse 26, Jesus goes on. Jesus made, He says, I've made your name famous, God, to these people, to my disciples, and he will continue to do so. But why? So that the love with which God loved Jesus may be in us as Jesus dwells within us. Meaning, this means that we can experience and express the eternal love of God that's found in the Godhead because jesus indwells us Now this this is fascinating news when you look over this passage you see a few things that that should just absolutely rattle your cage as a human you notice that god has loved jesus before time ever began they are the source of love the fountain head of love and to quote the great 80s song they really do know what love is it begins with them You notice that Jesus' coming to earth is is evidence, the evidence, that God loves the world with the same eternal love that God loves His Son. God's love for us is from eternity past, and that is seen by Jesus' coming in the fullness of time, our historical timeline. And you notice something else that Jesus, and this is the wonder of this prayer, you get to see what Jesus really longs for, what's on His heart jesus longs for prays for and has made a way for us his people to experience and express god's eternal love because jesus indwells us that's remarkable news we get all that from john 17 so at the outset of this theme this sermon on love the study of love i want us to see something very clearly love begins with god And that shouldn't surprise you if you've been in our church for very long. We always want to begin this journey with God. He is the source of God, of love. He is the fountainhead of love. Before time began, the Godhead was filled with perfect love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when God wanted to reveal His love to the world, what did He do? He sent His Son. The Son's coming is the evidence that the Father loved the world. Listen, it's the evidence that God loves you. It's the evidence. Now we see this in the rest of the New Testament as well. And let me just pick out a, a few references for you that will come up on the screen that are just, these are, you know these, most of you. John 3:16 is a famous one. For God so loved the world. What did, what did he do? That he gave his only son. Again, what, no, notice what motivated the Father his love for the world and how is his love manifested by sending and giving his only son first john 3 16 tells us that god gave us his son and shows us what he gave him to do we know love by this that he laid down his life for us and first john 4 9 and 10 tells us what that laying of his life down for us what he did in that Tells us he was the propitiation, or we could use a, another phrase, the satisfactory payment for our sin. See, if you want a definition of love, you don't need a dictionary. You need your Bible. Love is Jesus laying down his life for us to be a satisfactory payment before God for us. So here, here's what we've seen, just by recap god's love for his son is eternal and so is his love for us god gave his son to the world as a revelation that god loves the world and jesus laying down his life for us as our payment for our sin is the sign the evidence of what love is and that god does love the world now this is why we can all agree with dr ferguson love did come down at christmas when Jesus laid aside his heavenly robes for earthly skin, God's love was seen. When Jesus took the form of a servant, not a king, to serve his people and die as the penalty for their sin, God's eternal love became visible. We can see it. can experience it. We can express it. Now what's interesting about this is when you compare God's eternal, consistent, constant love With what you see around you, maybe in your own homes, maybe in your heart, maybe in the world, you think, what in the world is going on? And that's our second point, is humans love themselves. See, when you see that God is the source of love, that he's the constancy of love, that that God's eternal love for his son was from eternity past to eternity future, and you see that God's love for the world is manifested in his In his sending of his son, you notice that true love comes from God. And you notice something else about this love. True love from God is intrinsically others focused. And serves others for their eternal good. So what's our problem? I mean, just ask yourself a question. I mean, as you're sitting at the stoplight and that little old lady in her car isn't moving after the light turns green. And you're laying on the horn. I have a question for you. Are you concerned about her eternal good what about when your kid decides in a big party at your house that you've had over some friends and decides to embarrass you by their public display of disobedience and you immediately freak out and wonder especially the pastors at the house good what could what could come of that right and your pastor would just encourage you to be a great parent right what and you immediately feel this this embarrassment are you out for their eternal good Are your temporary sanity, right? I mean, the list could go on of these kind of things, right? True love, everybody got it back there? We're all, everybody, it's okay. Come back here. Yeah, it's okay. True love is intrinsically others-focused and serves other people for their eternal good. So what's our issue? Well, for that, we gotta go back to Genesis chapter three. Does that surprise anybody if you've been in this series? Right, Genesis three. We have literally been in Genesis three this whole series and what we've seen in genesis chapter 3 is we see paradise lost it's in this moment that adam and eve took the forbidden fruit and ate of it it's in this moment that the ability to experience and express god's eternal love was lost but i want you to notice some key phrases that revealed what motivated eve and her heart to be deceived Notice it says that the tree looked good for food, meaning it was yummy. It was a delight to her eyes, meaning it was pleasing to her. It was desired to make her wise. She knew it would give her something that she believed God was withholding from her. In C.S. Lewis's great books, it's Turkish delight. So here's the reality of this moment. God told Adam and Eve to not eat of this tree. And their love for God, belief that he was right, and their desire to please God kept them from this tempting fruit. But in this moment, Eve was deceived by the slippery serpent. And notice what he said to her as he challenged God's love for them and God's instruction to them. He uses funny little phrases. Did God actually say that? Are you sure? Are you certain of your faith in Jesus? Is it real? You won't surely die if that fruit. What can it really harm? Or rather, you'll be wise just like God. In other words, God can't be trusted. You, you know in your heart way better than God. Ever heard those thoughts pop into your head? In this moment of human history, it's the first moment that mankind decided... Decided, first moment we decided to love ourselves first and put God's love on the back burner. In this moment of sin, the ability to experience and express God's love, God's eternal love, was lost. Now from this point in the Bible, what do you notice? Right? We, we see love lost in families. We've spent a lot of time with Cain and Abel, haven't we, in this series. But But what about abram sarah and hagar we are still reaping the consequences of that family conflict way back in the book of genesis what about joseph's brothers who decided to sell him into slavery to get rid of him what about david's son absalom who tyrannically decided to rise up and take the throne of his father the list could go on we we see love lost in families we also see love lost between nations The battle for world supremacy from Genesis chapter 3 is on. It's on. Nation rises up against nation. In our world today, you don't hear clanging of swords. You hear clanging of of new airships and rockets and nuclear weapons. We see parents in the Old Testament literally sacrifice their children to false gods. We see parents rise up against children and children rise up against parents. We see stealing from one another, lying against one another. We see adultery, immorality, people forcefully taking what is not theirs. Why? Why do we see all of that? Because in Genesis chapter 3, a subtle yet profound transition took place. Humans decided to love themselves instead of loving the God who created them. We believe loving ourselves was the best answer. And when we did this, true love was absolutely lost. Now what's crazy about this is, anybody want to take a guess at what the world's answer is to this problem? And this is a phrase you'll all hear, and you hear it regularly. You need to learn to love yourself more. That's the world's answer. And the reason they give the answer is, you can't really love others unless you learn to love yourself first so therefore you come first you get what you want and you figure it out and then after all that's done then you distribute the love for yourself out to other people See, our, but the problem is that's not what the Bible says when I was cutting my teeth in ministry back as a 19 21 year old to all the 21 year old I had a dear mentor in my life and he said one thing to me I'll never forget truth is what God says. Truth is what God says. And what does God say about this particular issue? The Bible would tell you that our problem is not that we love ourselves enough. Our problem is we love ourselves too much. Aren't you glad that Adolf Hitler didn't love himself more? That he didn't have a better self-esteem? Aren't you glad when people don't meet our expectations they don't help us accomplish our dreams there's war and division and conflict from genesis chapter 3 on what do we find humans loving themselves rather than loving god and loving others and then finding in themselves a love for god and a love for others that gives them a bigger and broader view of themselves our love instead in Genesis 3 became myopic, self centered, and we thought it would bring us greater love. But the story of the Bible tells us something else. It tells us we were not made for self love. We were made to experience and express God's eternal love, but in our sin, we lost that ability. Something must change. And the Bible storyline tells us something fascinating. It tells us about the relentless, unfailing love of god towards his people that god has made a way to change us from our self-love and that's our third point of the sermon this morning god's love transforms the human heart so you'd think in genesis chapter 3 that when adam and eve did their dirty deed that god would be done with them and that's what most of us would do i'm finished man you you've rebelled again we're done figure it out or if you were God, just annihilate them and start over. I mean, let's just do something new. I mean, let's make a real Martian. Right? I mean, let's do something. That's not what he did. Genesis 3:15 in the darkest chapter of the human of our Bible for humans, we read over and over again that God said, "He will send a champion who would crush the head of the deceiver." And we see this pattern throughout the entire Old Testament. These dark times, God promising something, God pursuing His people. When we read the Old Testament, what we get is—and I hope you notice this when you read your Bibles—I know the Old Testament for some of us is just kind of a closed book, and we don't know what it is about, and all the stuff that we read—these weird stories, and you know, there's crazy genealogies and all these laws and all this kind of stuff—and we just go, "Oh, it's kind of weird," and I don't know if I want to. Study. I'll, I'll read—I'll read the New Testament where it makes more sense. The challenge is in the Old Testament. Here's what you get: you get a first. Hand experience, a a looking into how God pursues a sinful people. You read about God delivering His people from 400 years of tyrannical slavery in Egypt, only to read just a few days later they're grumbling and mad and angry because they don't have enough food to eat and they literally want to go back into Egypt. Now, just process that. How that tells you how strong your tummy is. I'm hungry. I want to go back to slavery and eat some meat. Wait, you're free. Yeah, no, but I'm hungry. That's what you're thinking right now because you want to get to lunch, right? <laughs> but what did God do to these grumbling people? He fed them. He clothed them. And he kept them safe. Then on their journey, they disobeyed God. <clears throat> and he disciplined them like a loving father and made sure that, that those who trusted him entered the promised land. Just as he promised them, I'm going to give you this land flowing milk and honey. And then they enter the promised land. And you think all their ills are going to be good, right? Because a transition of location will always change our hearts, right? Well, that didn't happen to these people. They had a transition of location right into the promised land and they fell prey to immorality, idolatry. And at some points, they literally forgot the word of God. They lost the Bible. I mean, just processes at one point in their history they're digging through like the old temple stuff and this guy pulls up a book and he goes i found a book and he takes it to the king and he reads it and the guy goes that's god's word they lost god's word these are the people of god these are the people that be representing him all over the earth their kings sinned their priests sins their prophet told them the wrong thing and time and time again here's what you read God would pursue them in His love to turn their hearts back to Him over and over and over again. If you want a great reading of this, it's a short book, read the book of Judges and see the cycle. Even in their darkest days of exile to foreign lands like Assyria and Babylon, God pursued them in His love by promising again. Remember that Genesis 3 champion, that Messiah? He's coming, and one day He's going to make something brand new, and it's going to be eternal. So throughout the Old Testament, listen, very clearly, there is a symphony of God's love being played in the background as you see the people's sin being played out. See, you and I read the Bible, and we go, oh, look at all this sin and this stuff and all this, but in behind the scenes, there is this symphony being played, and the notes are God's patience, God's mercy, and God pursuing a disobedient people to bring them back to him. That's what you see. See? That's amazing. That's amazing. What you actually see is what Deuteronomy chapter 7 tells us about God's love for his people. When he says, for you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it is not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. You know what he just said there? I love you because I love you. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, you hear this symphony being played. God loves his people. God chose his people. God has mercy on his people. God pursues his people because they are his. They're his people. They're his people. He used faithful prophets to preach God's word to say to them, turn back to the loving God. He used righteous priests to offer sacrifices for them. He used good kings to lead them back to God. then something dramatic changes in the moment that Jesus Christ shows up. In the Old Testament, God would send a priest, a prophet, and a king. But when Jesus came, God came himself. It's the moment in time when God came for his people in love for his people like a bridegroom going after his bride like a warrior going to claim his prize like a king coming to claim what is rightfully his jesus came at christmas and listen love came with him love came with him and he came not just to preach god's word to us like the prophets no But to be God's word in human flesh he came not just to lead us back to God like the kings of old But he came to be the victorious king who would never leave us nor forsake us nor ever be defeated He came not just to offer sacrifices for us, but to be our eternal sacrifice in his own body Love came down at christmas when jesus came for us That's remarkable news It's remarkable news And it's this love that transforms the human heart. Listen, there are a variety of ways that God breaks people. I've heard of people getting saved at a Led Zeppelin concert. I heard of dudes driving to go into a drunken stupor down a certain highway. As the Lord just said to them, if you go down there, you're going to die pull over the side of the road, go back home and repent. But I'll tell you this, love is the most compelling way that God breaks the human heart. You know this by what you see around you. You don't break hard men's hearts with wrath and justice. The reason for that is they think they can withstand it and they actually think they deserve it. You might scare them a little bit. You might cause them to run away. But you break men's hearts with unrelenting, overwhelming, constant love. You might go, well, how do you prove that? Tell me why you can take strong military men off in battle, doing all the stuff that we would never want to do. And they get a picture of their daughter. And what are they doing? They're bawling their eyes out unrelenting love. Or why that husband might be gone on a trip for a long period of time and he gets a love note from his wife. It just breaks his heart because I want to be home. It's why sinners don't know what to do when Christian people are unrelenting and overwhelming in our love toward them. If you want to help an addict, you don't help an addict by telling him wrath is coming. You help an addict by every time he falls, you're there. So next to the face of Jesus, the next one he sees is you. Hard hearts are broken by love. In a recent membership interview with one of our new members who gave me the privilege of sharing this example, here's what this man said. This man was a military man. He oversaw hospitals, war zones, He said, I was an angry man, proud, young man, proud, arrogant, hard-hearted. The wrath of God didn't scare me because I knew I deserved it. What I didn't deserve was God's love toward me in Christ. That someone would give their life for me. And at that moment, just tears running down his face. It was more than I could take. God's love is what changed me. And friends, this is not a one-off example. Listen to what the Bible actually says about this very thing. Romans 2.15 tells us it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Those of us that are more zealot-like say, what's the kindness of God to keep you from wrath? Or better yet, is it the kindness of God? To be kind to you? It's overwhelming. I don't deserve it. Why why would he be being kind to me? Why would he love me? Why would he send his son for me like this? This doesn't make any sense. It's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 tells us that God's love transforms us to stop living for ourselves and to start living for the one who died and was raised. Do you see what the motivating power is, it's God's love. Romans 5.5 5 goes so far to say that when Christ comes into our life, the Holy Spirit begins to shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. See, it's the love of God, the eternal love of God, the constant love of God, the overwhelming love of God that breaks and transforms the human heart when we believe in jesus when we submit to god's love for us in christ we're given the power and love of god so we can experience god's love the same love that's in the godhead and we can express god's love to other people we're transformed from loving ourselves to loving god and loving other people and thereby learning how to properly love ourselves Now, before we go out believing, okay, I get it, man. So I'll just, you know, I'm just going to get out of here today. I'm going to put on some love. When I see, you know, somebody needs help with their groceries, I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to go do it. Before we ever go there, think we can just conjure this up on our own. We've got to realize the only reason that we have the ability to experience and express God's love is what 1 John 4, 19 tells us very clearly. We love because he first loved us therefore you can't get all self-righteous about your love if you do that's not true love you can't say did you did you just see how how loving i was or i'm really proud of my humility right i mean right (laughs) you can just throw those things out where this whole thing begins listen where it begins is are you amazed that god loved you at all It's so hard to realize that what every one of us deserve is the moment we breathe our first breath, we deserve right then in that moment to be sent to the pit of hell. We we'll just be separated from God forever. But this God, in unrelenting love, let us breathe and be peace, patient and kind. Look at your life and recognize it's, an, it's a gift of patience from God. Are you amazed at his love? You have to start there. And in his love towards you, it's proven by Jesus coming for you. I mean, think about this. God didn't even have to love you. And he most certainly didn't have to send his only son for you. And yet he did both. What an amazing gift. And if that weren't enough, once we believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, takes up residence in our hearts and begins to express and help us experience God's eternal love in our lives. What an amazing gift from God. So, listen, you, you don't have to ask God anymore to prove his love toward you. I hear Christians all the time say to me, I just wish Jesus, God, would prove to me once again that he loves me by healing my mom or by giving me some money in the bank that I need to pay my bills. And my response to them is, listen, th- it has already been proven. God has proven it in Christ. That is done. You you don't have to wonder if God loves you anymore. It is answered in Christ. You don't have to question whether or not you can love God or love others. Because if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, the answer is, no, you do have the power in the Holy Spirit to change. Now let's finish by by looking at the last point today. This won't take us long. This will be a different point than normal for us because I want to let the word of God settle deeply in our souls, believing and treasuring God's love for us in Christ. See, in order to be transformed by God's love, we've got to start with believing it. So my question to you is, do you? Do you, believe, you read John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Here's my question. Can you say in your life, for God so loved me, that He gave His only Son for me. You got to start with believing this true to be true. That God, the Hound of Heaven, is coming after you. Unrelenting love wants you. It's coming after you. You have to start with believing in Christ. So, so do you, right? You 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 cannot make. Make up your own experience to receive God's eternal love on your own. You cannot experience God's love or express God's love without God. And so you can choose to deny Christ, but you will never have this power. That comes by submitting yourself to the eternal love of God found in Christ. So start there, right? I mean, if if you don't know Christ, we would plead with you turn to Christ. But after believing in Christ, here's a question for you as Christians. Do you treasure God's love for you in Christ? 2 Thessalonians 5:3-5 five, five is a prayer of Paul. And here's what he said. I, th- I find it fascinating. He's praying and asking that our hearts would be directed to the love of God. Which tells me that for Christians, there are times when the direction of our hearts is not directed at the love of God? Why why would Paul pray that if that wasn't the case, right? Does it make sense? So I'm like, okay, so something's got to change. And I find this to be true of myself. I love myself way too much. I love my ways, my agenda, my goals, my dreams. And if anybody gets in the way, they just need to get in line. Buck up, buttercup, because we're on a ride and it's my ride. Figure it out. We do this in our marriages. We do this with our parenting. We do this in our singleness. We do this in our, in our, goal, in our jobs. We do this, in, you do this in our neighborhoods. I mean, you, na- you name it. Your neighbor did not put the trash cans where you want him to put them. There's a war, right? And we're going to figure it out. Griswold family Christmas is at war. We're going to do that thing. That's what we do. We find this in our life. We want our way now. This is why we must have our hearts directed and turned and reminded of the love of God found in Christ. Friends, this is why you need your Bibles. Because your Bibles speak to you from beginning to end of the relentless pursuit of God after his people. It's why you need Christian friends, not just ones who will applaud you when you say dumb things, and not just ones who will laugh at your silly jokes, but you need ones who will look you in the eye and say, you know, brother, sister... I'm afraid that you've lost sight of the love of God found in Christ. Is that true? Because I want to remind you of this. Honestly, it's why you need to come to church. You know why? Because when you come to church, we basically say, these doors, this moment, right here, the the world's out there. What we're going to do today, right here, is we're going to point all of us back to Jesus. You know why? Because there's going to be a moment in your week when pastor can't be there, mommy can't be there, husband can't be there, and guess who you're going to need? You're going to need Jesus. Way bigger, way better than the pastor. And we want to lock these doors in, and every Sunday just come in and say again, let's direct our hearts to Jesus. Let's direct our hearts to the love of God found in Christ. That's why, listen, if you say, I can just do it online. No, you can't. It's a poor substitute because you cannot experience locking the world out like we do here on Sundays. And that's why, just for a moment, I want to, as a brother in Christ, a friend in Christ, I want to read to you, just let the Word of God roll into your hearts some texts of Scripture that remind you, that direct your gaze to the love of Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, we read this. Just let this... Let this direct your gaze to the love of God found in Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... The greatest phrase in the New Testament. But God, being rich in mercy, why? Because, because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. My goodness sake, what motivated God's actions toward us in Christ? Christ. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive. See, we deserve to be recipients of that wrath, but God's grace, what amazing grace, what amazing grace is given to us because of the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Is this not something to treasure? See, you see why we gotta get our gaze. We gotta direct our hearts. But then Romans 8. Let this just... Settle in your heart. And listen and notice how many times Paul mentions love and then notice what will ever separate you from that love. I mean, this is just staggering. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know what this text says to you, Christian? You are loved by God in Christ who gave up his life for you as a demonstration of God's love toward you. And nothing, I mean nothing, not in heaven or earth or anything in the created universe or outside the created universe can ever separate you from that love. That is remarkable news. It's remarkable news. There's not one power anywhere in the universe that can pull you from God's love for you in Christ. You know why? Because it's God's love for you in Christ that holds you to Christ. Not your love for Christ. Because how often does it faint? And does it wither? And aren't you glad that God's love is eternal and constant and he's constantly pursuing after you and drawing you back to yourself so listen if you believe in Jesus this is your reality God has made a way through Christ that we can eternally experience God's love and we can express God's eternal love all around us can you hear Paul in Romans 8 treasuring Christ his love can't you so here's my question to you is where where is your love grown cold for Christ? Where do you see it? Right? Where, where do you know that you're struggling with this? Can I just give you a thought? His love has never grown dim toward you. So you know that moment right now as you're convicted of some sin? Guess what that is? That is the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit coming after you because he loves you. You might say, listen, man, I, I, I don't know if he'll receive me because of the stuff I've done. This would tell us, you don't need to worry about that anymore. You run to Christ. Because in Christ, you will find the fountain of everlasting love. Now, as we close today, I want to read one last reference to us as a prayer. And you'll see why as we read it. It's Paul's prayer over the ephesian church <clears throat> and you can follow me along as we read it but i'd also encourage you to make this a prayer and this is what i pray for us today for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen and amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.